Welcome back, guys and girls, uh, to Space Explorer channel. Um, without further ado, I want to introduce you to this great special guest because uh, the topic today is very interesting. Again, probably will be interesting for people who are currently involved in space and maybe more specific into CubeSats, so uh, Pico satellites, nano satellites, and uh, we're talking about power. Uh, so, and uh, how we can tackle this uh, this problem right now because we have an increasing demand of companies and new startups coming up. Uh, with launching their own CubeSat into space and, and power becomes uh, a big topic. Uh, so we're going to go into detail. I want to explain you what this topic is all about. But today's guest, uh, Carol Datani. So he's a chartered engineer and the founder of Space Power, a serial disruptor and entrepreneur who cuts his teeth in nuclear engineering and is now pursuing his dream of building a high-tech engineering company that works off the boundaries of sci-fi and reality whilst being conscious uh, of the environmental it operates in. So his background is in nuclear manufacturing R&D, having spent eight years leading and developing various game-changing technologies across the whole technology readiness level range for core fuel productions at Rolls-Royce submarines. Uh, Caval was, has also been a manufacturing lead for the UK's most powerful reactors, writing the technology strategies for um, Dreadnought at, at, uh, and also the UK Step Fusion Reactor UK uh, uh, EA, while also launching uh, the UK Nuclear Space Propulsion Program between the two organizations. So space power is an interesting concept because it will help satellites be more productive, improve the type of data we can generate, whilst also avoiding an ecological problem in orbit, uh, which is uh, which is still left um, unchecked at the moment with the. Will reflect the state of our oceans today. So that's gonna it ties in in a problem. And obviously, we're gonna be discussing that in a conversation today. Uh, this is a fantastic industry which brings together people from all the corners of the world, from the full ranges of ages, a place where new ideas are necessary to make the grand mission. Uh, so, we, as you see, we're gonna be covering a lot of interesting topics today. And, uh, you know, again, thank you, uh, Keval, again, uh, for coming over. Thank you for the time and uh, just looking forward to having this great discussion. Hey, thank you for hosting me. Yeah, uh, I know that was a bit of a mouthful, but uh, I'm more than happy to uh, <laughs> to, to, to explain and, uh, and go into yes. detail. I mean, that's a great that's a great information. I mean, so you, you have a quite a good, great background. I mean, uh, at least that I can say uh, for me, you know, one that stood out the most is, is that you worked uh, on Rolls-Royce submarines uh, again. So that's part of the technology fuel production. Um, and again, just working on, um, you know, fusion reactors with the companies and then space propulsion programs. And I mean, it's quite, quite impressive uh, to say at least. Uh, but again, as we, as I mentioned at the beginning, so we're now facing this new CubeSat space age, right? Um, and maybe for the people, kind of a short history lesson. So CubeSats began as a collaborative effort in 1999 between Jordi Puig Suari. So hopefully I didn't butcher that too much. Uh, so he was a professor at Caltech uh, and Bob Twiggs. Uh, so he was a professor at Stanford University. Um, so basically, and they developed the project, uh, which was meant to be to give affordable access for university students to do science, right? So now the question is, as we're having this kind of new space age, uh, where do we go from here? I mean, what's the next in a CubeSat space and uh, where do you see that space going? Well, we can see kind of the demand kind of growing as we realize that it can actually become much cheaper and a lot more effective to look at what we're doing on the ground from space. So we're looking at agriculture, climate modeling, checking the oceans, looking at uh, coral reefs. 
you know, one of the more demanding kind of uh, aspects um, that I've heard of was trying to count the number of midges in a field. So all these little flies that will help people to uh, predict what the agriculture, the crop growth is going to be like in the following years. And, you know, it's a real challenge, you know, you're 450, 500 kilometers up and uh, you're trying to get such close detail. Um, and your other alternative is to send uh, some poor guy out into the field, checking hectare after hectare and counting flies. You know, I, it's not a job I could see myself enjoying really. Um, and, you know, there's a lot more demand out in uh, trying to get more and more information, you know, as our climate, um, you know, as the climate issue becomes more critical, there's a lot more demand out here in terms of getting more resolution and really, you know, CubeSats are fulfilling their original design um, in enabling small projects to actually go out and, and you know, make the, most of, uh, make the most of this information. And, you know, one of the things that really surprised me, you know, uh, I come from, uh, from nuclear reactors and uh, my kind of first thought was, let's send out megawatts. We need to, we need to sort out megawatts of power in the industry. And uh, really I got a cold water shock in the first weekend uh, at this hackathon where, where space power came from. And, uh, you know, actually the numbers that we're talking about is on the scale of one to two light bulbs. And, you know, with CubeSats basically stand, uh, you know, staying in, you know, staying in the shadow for about 40% of its orbit really starts to bring home this, thirst for power and you know we've got lots of good sensor technology out here on earth but really i think the the shock was that space tech isn't space age at the moment and uh, you know that's what i really want to help out is to remove that power barrier that we've got at the moment and enable more uses for these cubesats got it got it got it and that's a quite a bold uh, bold vision bold goal i mean to have i mean obviously this is a big problem which requires a lot of resources and, and, and bring power and manpower, women power, I mean, uh, which obviously I think you're working towards that, right, with your own personal company. But I wanted to talk, obviously, as I have a following question about the power demands on stripping supplies. Uh, so again, another uh, quick uh, kind of fact, uh, describing last summer situation, um, <clears throat> there was a December Science Digest. Uh, so there was an article and uh, it says that uh, brownouts were common, uh, blackouts in some places became routine. Some of the power networks teetering on the edge of electrical chaos uh, barely got by without massing catastrophes. So uh, can we talk again about the systems that you're currently developing and maybe uh, how that can be, uh, again, benefit, you know, what type of benefit we could expect here, here for the planet? I mean, just overall with the this entire, um, you know, lack of power and I mean, what type of what type of solutions we can put in place or, or new technology to, to, to kind of to make it go away? Absolutely. You know, I, I, think, I think a great place to start off is to try and think about what, what do people do today? You know, we, we've got radars, we've got earth imagery, um, but because of that power, power you know, um, the power shortage, you either put up more satellites, you put up bigger satellites than you actually need. So your payload is just sitting in lots of free space, which is, expensive and costly in, in your rocket launches. Mm. Um, and then the other side of it is uh, just adding more and more layers to your photovoltaics. And, you know, this is one of those kind of catch 22s where your photovoltaic in its simplicity is, is a great power source. Um, you can go harvest, uh, 
harvest your light and you minimize the complexity in what needs to work. You need every single layer to work on your PV for that electricity to actually pass through. So as we start going from triple junction, quadruple junction up to, I've heard about eight times, 10 times layers on, on, on the photovoltaics, not only does your, uh, does your photovoltaic actually become a bit more risky in terms of, is it gonna actually last the, the length of time that you expect it to, but you're also demanding far more rare materials um, from earth in order to supply that demand. And you know, you've got this intrinsic kind of limit in terms of what spectrum the sun gives you and how much energy is actually available. You know, we're quoting uh, 1.4 kilowatts per meter squared is what the sun can give you in orbit. Mm. But how much of that is actually seen by the photovoltaic? Quite a lot of that light passes through or just isn't compatible. Um, so what we're trying to do actually is realize that our customers in the CubeSat industry can't put up huge solar panels and and actually what we can do is just put up a, a bit of a solar farm, um, put up much bigger solar panels than our customers can, harvest that sunlight in, in, in as efficient way as possible, and then send that in a concentrated and, and a um, measured form in a single wavelength, which actually is responsive to the photovoltaic and actually allows us to simplify everything. So you, know, you don't have to go chasing triple junctions to get a wide spectrum we know what spectrum you're looking for and we can then tune our lasers for, for that photovoltaic. And that makes your photovoltaic much happier. It stays in cooler temperatures. But you know, I think critically, what we are really trying to do is to change the life cycle of the satellite. So that 40% downtime in the eclipse is a really critical time. You know, If your battery uh, empties through that transition period, you're really uh, looking at losing your satellite and uh, or having to do very costly operations to get it back online. Um, by powering satellites in the dark, we actually enable nighttime operations. We can also turn that wasted time into useful time and just bring up the total operational efficiency of that of that asset. You know, these things are really expensive and they're machines so you know they don't need to go to sleep at night and uh, you can actually get a lot more out of these and what we really aim to do is to bring down the average cost of operation for a satellite per hour to then enable new people to enter the enter the space and to enable these business cases that might be on the fringe um, of whether it's you know whether, whether it makes economic sense or not. Yes, yes. So, so, uh, and also that could be applied for the rovers and drones. I mean, the same type of technology, right? Exactly. You know, um, for us, we're looking at uh, LEO operations. That's where we see the huge uh, satellite population kind of growing. And that's where the market is today. Mm -hmm. Moving, moving forward and uh, moving towards the future, you know, we're already talking to some uh, contractors about hydrogen production facilities and you know, this is where the uh, university engineering lessons kind of like come back and you think about thermodynamic efficiency. What you need is hot temperatures and cold temperatures. Max if you maximize that difference, you maximize the, uh, the, the efficiency of your operation. And if you've got your um, factory in a crater where it's in constant darkness, you can get some really cool efficiencies, but how are you going to get power? So what we want to do is to have similar kind of, you know, maybe lunar stationary orbits mm -hmm. or, you know, thinking about Mars um, as well. This is the kind of, uh, these are the kind of applications that we see moving forward. 
as well uh, with lunar outposts and uh, and different manufacturing facilities. Right, right. Okay, so so for for all of us again, who are probably not too too technical people, uh, just explaining this uh, space-based power again, which what we're talking about currently right now. Maybe you can uh, give us more kind of details and explain maybe in simpler terms, so everybody will understand when we talk about this. Uh, you know, providing uh, power wirelessly, right? So, I mean, how would it work functionally? I mean, are we talking about just uh, providing power for the CubeSats and satellites while being in orbit? Are we talking about also by providing power uh, for equipment on the ground because of those satellites? I mean, is there going to be some sort of communication between ground segments and, and, uh, and the LEO satellite, let's say, in that case? So right now, you know, we're really just uh, concentrating on uh, in-orbit power. Mm -hmm. um, that's where it's the most valuable, and that's basically right. where we see the biggest need right now. Um, to be honest as well, the atmosphere for us is a huge bonus. You know, when we looked at other technologies that were being developed, they were looking at transmitting through the air mm -hmm. um, from the ground station up, into, to, up to satellites. And uh, the atmosphere creates a, just a huge problem. And uh, as you want to power up, it creates an ever-increasing problem. Just by heating up the air, it creates more turbulence. And now your laser beam is really, really uh, wide and pretty ineffective. Mm -hmm. um, really, what we want to do is to, you know, the, I guess the, the, the analogy to, to think about it is, is, you know, our CubeSats essentially have small buckets. and this, the sunlight is rain outside, and what you want to do is collect as much rain as you can and uh, and use that. But if you're only limited by small buckets, you can only catch so much so much rain. We want to have a much wider bucket, enable ourselves to get more power than our, our customers could, and then deliver that in a much more friendly manner. The solar spectrum is quite wide, and it can also kind of confuse photovoltaics in terms of um in terms of its efficiencies and as it gets hotter dealing with the other spectrum that it doesn't really uh really interact with or get any energy from um it really drops those efficiencies so yeah we're looking at in orbit from space to space and uh, really starting off uh serving like a constellation so what we want to try and do is to show that you know if you're planning a 30 satellite constellation you might be able to actually get away with 10 to 15 satellites to do exactly the same job and have them operate more efficiently at a lower cost per hour um, and then help that kind of congestion problem in space you know we see sun synchronous orbits are incredibly congested and when we start already talking about congestion in space and probably the dawn of this new space age it's kind of shocking you know we, we want to have enough space for everyone to operate and to try new ideas and, and new projects out so even by kind of like taking away that desperate needs to constantly be in sun which also damages your satellite you know if you're in constant uv it, it damages your satellite uh, as much as uh, as as much as uh, kind of organic beings um we actually enable satellites to extend their lifetime take some time in the shade cool off and uh, generally open up more orbital highways as well that's great. I mean, the, the, the topic is very big. Uh, like recently, I just came back from the Germany trip to Space Tech Expo uh, in, in Bremen and the space sustainability and especially talk about the space debris. So increasing number of 
satellites in, in Leo in particular right now. So that's becoming an issue. And what you're saying, if, if you can um, have lesser satellites in orbit as a company, and that will, uh, you know, uh, create uh, the, the same outcome as, as you would do, let's say, with uh, twice as much or three times as much satellites, just because uh, you can increase uh, the, the number, uh, increase the percentage of operations of the satellites per, uh, per satellite in orbit. Uh, that means lesser satellites needed. I mean, that means lesser um, risk uh, of uh, having a collision in, in orbit and creating space debris. So, I mean, space sustainability is a big topic. So, uh, I just like the the... the the outlook that you have on that and keeping that in mind that you know space sustainability obviously I, I know you probably as a company would like to serve many people as many as possibly can uh, but still thinking about probably having lesser satellites uh, in orbit at the same time is, is, is really good so can you talk about just reducing payloads launch mass I mean how, how would that play in because obviously we have many um, you know, rideshare companies who are right now providing the services, but how your type of technology would uh, would help them to lower lower the cost for launch? Absolutely. You know, one of my good friends, um, he uh, when when I started to talk about space power to him, and you know, he's designing a, a climate modeling satellite. Um, he told me, you know, I'm not your I'm not your key customer. Don't worry about me. I have a passive radar system. Uh, it's going to be you know, 0.2 watts, um, we're, we're good with, with power. Yep. But then the back end of that is all about your data processing. So now that you've got all of this data, you need to package it, you need to send it back out. And actually that started to drive all the power requirements uh, way, way up uh, much higher than, than previously expected. And so now you need to oversize your satellite just to have the real estate for your photovoltaics just to harvest in, enough light and suddenly you know your 3u satellite becomes a 6u satellite your costs have doubled your launch costs have doubled it's probably harder to find some payload space on a on a launch vehicle as well and uh, you know that's that's basically one of the things that we're looking at um minimizing but also batteries you know they're a, a massive waste engineering uh, engineering wise they're big they're heavy they get hot they push quite a lot of different budgets uh, for your satellite operations. And if we can minimize that and help people fit more satellites into a fairing per launch, you know, I think that's a big win for, for us and, and generally say, uh, space sustainability as well. So due to your technology, what, what do you think, what's a sort of a development of maybe new spin-offs spin and kind of services uh, can come on just just because of that of, of the efforts right now. In terms of uh, laser powers, um, yep. you know what we're looking at is, I mean, we're we're pretty much focusing on powering cubesats today, um, but we kind of go through different models. So you know, at first, well, as, as we're kind of growing that confidence in the industry, because you know, power is such an intrinsic part of your mission. Uh, right. We need to show ourselves as being uh, reliable and uh, consistent uh, performers. And by, you know, first having a one power satellite, you know, several power satellites per constellation, enabling those uh, to start operating more often and, and uh, delivering better quality data to their customers, we're then starting to move towards a more one-to-many approach where actually we put a much more powerful laser, much more powerful power, power station up in orbit. 
and we can supply several different satellites as they pass underneath us. And really thinking about servicing an orbital highway um, as opposed to just one customer. So that's where we can see things like subscription or pay-as-you-go services mm -hmm. and really emergency services as well. So, you know, if there was a sudden demand from uh, one of the downstream customers for uh, an update on a field or a mine or, or a certain piece of land, but the satellites kind of running uh, low on battery actually enable them to actually capture the information that they need. Um, but otherwise, you know, thinking about future tech, you know, my mind's still on asteroid mining, and uh, I don't see uh, I don't see an alternative when we go to asteroids uh, prospecting that we wouldn't have some kind of mothership and mini drone kind of setup where, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, your your mini drones you don't want to have big, hot, heavy batteries on all of those, you know, all of that extra mass is just extra power that you need. Right. So why not just fly by laser and have this mothership with a reactor on board and it just beams lasers across to all of its drones and just enables everything to kind of go find whatever instruments and minerals that they need and then come back. Um, so, the, I mean, those are the kind of stages that we look at for the business. And, you know, ultimately, fundamentally, we're a photon delivery company um mm. power is the key thing at the moment um right. and i think that's where we see the biggest strength right now there are lots of right. people out there in communications and if there is something uh, we can do with communications and power that would be great but really that's not our key focus right now um particularly for the sustainability aspect Got it, got it, got it. Okay, so talking about the power, and obviously, uh, as I mentioned before, you you have quite a background in uh, nuclear space propulsion also. Uh, so talking about that, so what do you see uh, with kind of recent uh, advances in, in material technology uh, that may provide a more affordable pathway in developing a nuclear rocket engine? I mean, this is a big topic uh, these days. So what, what do you see happening currently in this, in this industry? So I see... Um... I see there's a big drive towards nuclear space propulsion tech. Um, I, I'm, I'm quite, I like even for my background and, and, and how, uh, how, uh, how, how much I like to push the boat, I can't really see, say, a ground to space nuclear rocket engine uh, mm -hmm. really happening. Um, so any, you know, any particular reasons? Yeah, you know, uh, ultimately the material if the material is not radioactive as it's going through launch, I think that's absolutely fine. There's a good safety case to be made for that. Mm -hmm. um, but if you switch on your nuclear rocket as it's going up, until you can guarantee, you know, all of your rockets are going to go straight through without having a problem, without having mm -hmm. a, an explosion. Right, right, right. Um, I see. It, it's, it's a risky process. I, you know, I, I don't see that actually being a, a, mm -hmm. a reasonable kind of case for, for nuclear energy in space. Right. But, you know, as you come out of LEO, as you start moving past GEO, mm -hmm. absolutely, you know, the sun only kind of gives you a, a set amount of light and it only, and it decreases as you move away from it. So right. for Martian missions uh, and anything beyond that, nuclear energy is, is the way to go. And uh, I think there's some really cool technologies that are coming out there, you know, mm -hmm. molten salt reactors, uh, there's a lot of new thinking as well behind reactors as well to, to, to consider like gravity. You know, you really take gravity as a, a real, um, you take it for granted with uh, nuclear reactor designs. You know, you think about how do you switch off a reactor? You've got your control rods, which generally fall with uh, gravity. You've got 
natural convection cycles that will go through uh, your reactor plant. How do you manage all of that in a different environment where you also don't have uh, you, you don't have great heat rejection systems as well? So how do you get rid of that heat? How do you stop a core meltdown happening? I think these are really cool technologies that are going to come through. Um, and they also have good overlap with the energy problems that we're trying to solve on Earth. So these advanced modular reactors, I think there's a lot of segue there with what we're developing for, for terrestrial use um, into the space industry. Right, right. Okay. So uh, so talking about that, obviously, you know, every time I speak with somebody just like you, uh, you, you know, those are bold, uh, bold goals that, you know, we set for ourselves as companies, individuals, and, you know, kind of, as, as mentioned in your bio, kind of sci-fi like, uh, but those, those things, you know, that been sci-fi uh, some time ago, you know, those are things reality right now, just like reusable rockets. And I mean, we see companies are, are doing that. So, and obviously advancement in a nuclear propulsion. And um, so that, that's, that's another thing that kind of looks like a sci-fi, but obviously companies and individuals and government is, is involved in that. So how do you see about uh, those things uh, kind of being created faster or maybe some other advancements, uh, again, in the industry that you're currently working on and how the youth, the people that can be part of that? I mean, would you encourage people to, uh, to start looking into space industry, to, to start looking for space engineer jobs? I mean, uh, where the space industry overall, just, uh, just worldwide, where do you see it going in the next, let's say, five, 10 years from now? And what will be your advice for young people? I mean, I, I think it's only growing, right? Um, there's so much more avenues out there. Um, and, you know, what, what I love about the industry is there's so much collaboration. Uh, there's even like with companies that are generally in competition uh, and in any other industry, it would be, I think, a bit more antagonistic. There's a lot more cooperation here. People are more open with each other. And, and actually, I think everyone wants to see the industry actually grow and blossom. And, you know, the other side of it is, I think there's just so much there, you know, it, it's not a, it's not a dog eat dog kind of style of economics. Actually, if right. I help you get where you need to be and you can help me in, in bits and pieces, actually right. both of us have way more to, to work with and uh, a lot more to kind of benefit from as well. Um, and uh, that's something that I really see is, you know, an exciting part of the industry as well as this kind of like rejuvenation in this new phase of growth, um, which I think is bringing in a lot of the youth. What I'm, what I'm always kind of like really surprised by, um, and I probably shouldn't be really, um, is the innovation and the initiatives that are actually being brought through from people from university coming into new graduates. Um, and, you know, I think, I think the generations, the younger generations have uh, kind of grown through the, you know, 2008 global financial issues and uh, the new kind of like sustainability, ecological kind of like wokeness. Um, you know, there are a lot of phases that we're going through and I think that there's a common view to try to work together to overcome these issues. And, uh, you know, I think the space industry is fantastic because it's so diverse, you know. I even came into it only thinking about satellites and rockets, but then right. there's the launch, there's the launch systems, there's the downstream data services, there's all the different sensors and all the different kind of steps in between. There's something for everyone to get involved with, uh, even like sales and marketing. Like it's just something that you know when you're thinking about industrial podcasts or you know media, 
it's always it's always refreshing and it's always kind of interesting to kind of see what someone else is up to. Yes. Yes, I agree. Like in this industry, I see that too. I mean, I see uh, uh, like people, companies, individuals wanting to collaborate with others, even though they could be, uh, uh, you know, uh, same audience for both companies and they're kind of going after the same people and they're making the, the, same, the same company, but they're still willing to collaborate. And uh, again, it's, it doesn't happen all the time, but if there is a potential alignment for, for both sides to create this win-win situation, I mean, it's so uh, that, that's really great because I never seen anything like that before myself. Also, I mean, in different and I worked in a different industries before. So that's that's really refreshing to really know that to really see that people are uh, having a little bit bigger vision, uh, probably than themselves. That the kind of monetary value of uh, of the company, because the you know there's a big discussion now. Obviously, us going and occupying Mars, and uh, you know, for me, obviously, you know, it's all about. Uh, shrinking those timelines. So I think uh, those people probably think similar way and they want to shrink the timelines uh, for us to go faster to that or just create bigger companies that will benefit, uh, you know, people, earth and, and different services and businesses that we do here on the planet. So it's really great. I think it's a healthy perspective to have. So uh, speaking about the uh, resources, uh, so can we talk about, again, for other people, because this is still a discussion, even though we have a lot of momentum in the space industry and we're going to, seems like we're going to continue to have that which is great, uh, you know, some education uh, to the people that still don't believe or don't think that exploring into space, and we see all these articles on social media or uh, news uh, pages saying that, oh, another billionaire is going into space. Uh, so why, I mean, all of this that's currently happening in the space industry is good for Earth and what other benefits are we going to see in the near future? Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I think it's uh, that it is that education piece right because you know when you when you do see people going out into space and more and more hardware going out you know i think it is a it's a really important topic to keep in mind because you know even for space uh, for asteroid mining for example for me that i think that's a key step because i think one of the worst things we could do as a species is to mine things from the earth Mm. and use that and, 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 and launch it out into space when there are huge right. rocks with extremely valuable materials, really right. useful materials flying about us um, constantly, uh, which is, you know, where the DART mission is kind of, I think, helping us kind of move towards. Right. Um, I think, you know, trying to understand not only that front, you know, uh, taking the mission at face value, understanding what other implications that there are behind it. You know, we've got what better view of the earth is there than from space, you know, where you can actually see a huge area all together and keep monitoring that um, fairly regularly. You know, like I said before, whereas you would have had to have someone move out into a field and, and, and see it by eye, I think it simplifies these issues and actually can give you much better data to work from. And, you know, fundamentally you can't manage or, you know, control you know, any of these um, issues in terms, you know, droughts, fires, um, agriculture, you, without data, you can't do it. And, um, you know, there are lots of other technological offshoots that you get, you know, new materials, new processes, they've all, they all can feed back into uh, terrestrial applications. And even with uh, wireless power beaming, we can see indoor versions of that happening. Um, and really, you know, just by pushing, I think, you know, human curiosity and uh, human information 
enables us to find new links and to find new areas that we can actually um, we can use that you know closer to home. Right, right. And then with this conversation right now, even though it seems like a lot maybe for some people, I mean, we're just scratching the surface very lightly. I mean, there, there's, there's a lot of things that are happening right now, and I'm pretty sure a lot of things are happening with the space power again with your company. So uh, as I'm looking at the website, at your company's journey, maybe you can talk about uh, what's the next uh, quarter is going to bring into the company? What are the maybe strategic goals and future plans for your company? Yeah, you know, uh, I mean, it's it's a we've had a funny journey because uh, we started at a at a space hackathon, um, you know, two years ago, which is a really I, I couldn't I couldn't recommend uh, a hackathon experience more highly to any entrepreneurs. Um, it's really really intense. You know, you come together, you you don't know anyone uh, from day one. You kind of see what these ideas are. They start to grow. You get a huge kind of sense of elation by the end of that first day, and then through the second day where you're trying to refine your your business model you just get loads of people that just throw stones and you you go through this kind of like chasm of despair where you just like where you just kind of think oh my god I, it looked so good at the beginning and now what do we do and you know our, our kind of like process was when uh, satellite companies told us don't you dare touch our satellites because we were thinking about a mobile phone charger. You know, right. you keep one of those battery packs in your pocket and whenever mm -hmm. you need some extra charge, you just plug in and you can move on. Right. And then suddenly we had to think about a wireless solution to this problem and really started to move through, get some more customer, um, it, you know, feedback over that first year, uh, understand the market. And it was really interesting because, uh, you know, about this time last year, we were talking to uh, a few governmental bodies trying to get funding and support mm -hmm. and uh, the thing that they told us was i think your technology push not market pull there's uh th we've we've seen this before it's not going to work uh, maybe hold on to uh you know hold on to your idea for a few years and and maybe it'll uh, maybe it'll finally become something mm. and then we fast forwarded one month because uh I sent another email. I thought, you know, I don't think you really understood what we were trying to uh, explain. Let's have another sit down. And a message came from above through Christmas that actually this was a big problem. Uh, power is an issue and power scarcity is a thing. And suddenly they come from this other kind of mindset of we knew it was always a problem. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, now we don't believe that you're going to be able to deliver X, Y and Z, you know. And uh, <laughs> I took that as a massive win. You know, it's like, OK, cool. Maybe you still don't believe me, but at least we've uh, we've moved forward in the in the conversation. Right. And, uh, you know, what we're tr you know, at the moment, we're excited because uh, we've got lab trials uh, right now with the University of Surrey, uh, world leaders in this field where We've got loads of different photovoltaics. We've got a few different lasers, and we're just testing out all these different kind of parameters. You know, right. if you get full beam, if you have a partial beam, what does it do to your uh, efficiencies? And you know, how can we optimize this? Uh, you know, trying to get um, real photovoltaics to test that out, and it's essentially build out some kind of customer model where you can kind of select what satellites you've got, what kind of feed PVs you use, what's your mission style. And then you can understand how that, how your power lifetime changes with the space power services or without space power services right. in, uh, you know, just using a computer simulation and kind of just help boil down the, the improvements. 
our kind of real uh, goals are for a, a demonstrator model. Mm -hmm. uh, we're looking at the back end of 2023, where we want to do an in-orbit demonstrator. Mm -hmm. Going to try and do the highest power beaming uh, in orbit um, from one spacecraft to another, mm -hmm. and uh, really just kind of show that it's possible and also kind of like try out a few different um, kind of parameters on that. Mm -hmm. um, and really right now we're just kind of trying to find uh, as many different customers in terms of um, different sensors, different satellites and different kind of mission types. I mean, we talk to transportation companies, we talk to uh, earth observation sensors. Um, and uh, yeah, we're really excited to kind of understand each one's kind of um, each one's requirements, uh, particularly the more kind of forward thinking and the more ambitious projects where you kind of want 400 watts of data processing in orbit. And mm -hmm. today you just wouldn't be able to do it, um, but we want to make that happen. Um, and then, you know, really building that power grid in space where the real win will be if our customers don't have to carry any batteries at all mm -hmm. in orbit, save all of those okay. kind of waste in terms of the heat and, and the weight. Um, that for us is uh, is a real mission success. That's amazing. And by the way, do you have a, already a company for this uh, technology demonstration mission for 2023? No, we don't. We we're, we're talking to a couple of companies at the moment, um, but you know we just need to kind of uh, refine the design and see what the best. You know, in that cooperation mode, you know how how can we make the most out of doing that uh, demonstrator? And you know, if there's a customer who wants to try out a new type of payload or a payload that's just been sitting on the shelf because it right. just has too many, uh, too high a power requirement. Mm -hmm. You know, if we can uh, break that barrier for them and show that that payload can work whilst also demonstrating our power beaming, um, that for us is the most efficient and, you know, the most kind of sustainability conscious way of, uh, of kind of operating. Yes, yes, makes sense. So that's a message for, for you guys and girls. I mean, for the ones who are uh, maybe thinking about, uh, again, uh, creating a, a small constellation. Again, uh, all we need right now is just the two CubeSats, right? So uh, again, I'm thinking about probably three U or something like that. So uh, if, if you're listening, if you're watching this episode, I mean, I do recommend to, to get in contact with the Kival and gonna have a conversation potentially about having that system on your payload. And, you know, uh, given, given that uh, kind of, uh, a go. Uh, obviously, if, if you're the right company and you believe that this could be good for you, because uh, the technology that we're speaking about today, uh, I mean, we can see uh, many benefits that can come, out, come come from that. And I mean, the end goal is saying just having uh, no batteries on board for the CubeSats in the future. I mean, will be the ultimate goal, as you say. So that that sounds just incredible for now. But obviously, uh, as we mentioned before, things that was a sci-fi before they're being done right now. So this is just probably another topic in a books uh, that will be talked about once once this is going to be accomplished. So look, uh, all I can say, I mean, it's, it's it's been great. I really appreciate you coming on, sharing all this great insights information. Uh, I wish you again best of luck with the company. I'm sure you're gonna get to the place that you need to go. And uh, uh, for you guys and girls who are listening to this episode, uh, I encourage you also to share this episode with your friends. Uh, just because uh, it's not that well about subscribers or reviews or none of that, as you already know, we need to continue to spread the message. And again, the the information that's again Kaval uh, shared today on the interview about his technology, the future of space, uh, again, where things are going with, with, with this technology and, and how the future is going to look like. Uh, so make sure to do that. 
And again, um, I appreciate you watching or listening. And uh, until the next time, I'll talk to you very soon.